Wow. What an amazing few couple days this has been. Don't you, I hope you all are as encouraged as I am as I think about going back to ministry in our local church and just pouring life into sharing God's word with women. What an amazing... Thank you for these testimonies, Becky and Misty, and for the music. Thank you for the those of you who have taught these different sessions. I just feel like what an amazing opportunity to just come together as sisters who are involved in ministry and to strengthen our hands as we go out. Um, this is such a great opportunity, so thank you. Well, I'm wondering if you have ever been to a wedding or to a party with one of those celebration towers. I don't know if you... They're so cool. I, I've actually only seen them in online videos, but they're so cool, YouTube videos. But there's there's one glass that sits on top of this pyramid of other glasses. Have you seen... Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there, there's... As the sparkling cider or champagne or whatever is being poured into the top glass, it then overflows into the next level. And then the, when those glasses are full, they all overflow into the next level. And there's this cascading pyramid as all these glasses fill each other. And then once all the glasses are full, then guests can come and help themselves. It's such an awesome picture, isn't it? And I kind of think maybe that's a picture of what Paul is outlining in his letter to Titus that we've been looking at. Paul has learned about God's truths from Jesus. He's now poured into Titus. Titus is overflowing with sound doctrine into the lives of the older men and the older women. Older women are then overflowing with that same sound doctrine into the lives of younger women. Younger women will then overflow with that truth, those truths, that sound doctrine, into the lives of their children. It's a really powerful picture, isn't it? Well, I think Paul really wanted every member of the church to be overflowing with solid biblical teaching. He wanted God's word to be intentionally taught to every part of the body. So there's no glass missing in the pyramid. And he was deeply, we talked earlier about how he was deeply concerned about the character of those who are going to pass on those truths. God's word is most effectively shared by those whose lives reflect the truths of the message. We talked about the need for our lives to proclaim the same truths as our words. And as God's people, after we've examined our own hearts, realizing that we will never arrive, but looking for signs of a growing relationship with Jesus, we're ready to think about how best to fulfill the call to teach others within the church body. And that's the second part of Paul's instructions to Titus. And so if you would open up your Bibles again to the book of Titus, we're going to look at Paul's instructions for passing on the truths once again. So we're going to read those words again. You'll be very familiar with these by the time you leave. Titus, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. 
They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, it's not often in Scripture that God gives us gender-specific instructions just for women. But he, and so when he does, we need to sit up and take notice. What is it that Titus 2 is calling us to do? As older women, we are to teach younger women how to live well. And that's a big deal. We don't want to be that missing link in the chain, do we? We don't want to be that glass that's pulled out so the ones below can't receive the overflow. So what are some of the foundational principles that can ensure that we're doing our part well? As we receive that sound doctrine, that we don't water it down before it overflows into the lives of others. Well, we're going to highlight three foundational principles for teaching ministry among women. Um, Then we're going to talk about some very practical, just quickly talk about some practical ways to do that. But these, these principles and tips are not exhaustive, but they are foundational as we look at how best to obey Paul's instructions to us as women. Okay, well, as we look at these words in Titus 2... We see that we are, this is a calling. We are called to teach other women. Now, the teaching piece is not optional, but I love it that Paul is not prescriptive here. This kind of ministry is going to look different in every context. Some of you will be meeting with other women one-on-one. Some of you will be in small groups. Others are going to be in larger, more structured programs where you're standing up in a setting like this and sharing God's truth with women. But regardless of the context, the most effective women's ministries are, first of all, grounded in the study of God's word. Secondly, they take place in the context of the local church. And finally, effective ministry grows out of a deep love for our sisters in the church. So I want to keep you, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to the book of Titus. We're going to look, continue to look through this letter in our time together. So effective ministry is grounded in the study of God's word. You've heard a lot about that over these couple days. But as we look at these instructions, we need to remember the context in which these were given. We don't want to yank these words in verses 4 and 5 out of the rest of the letter. The teaching that Paul is describing here in Titus 2 is firmly grounded in God's word, with specific applications then being drawn out for every demographic within the church. And so he started with the elders. In chapter 1, verse 9, an elder we see is to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So the elders were to take what they received, that sound doctrine, and then pass that on to others. In chapter 2, verse 1, we see Titus was told to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's what he was to teach the older men and the older women, sound doctrine. And Paul is impressing on Titus the importance of studying the Bible and sharing it with these various groups, specifically older men and women. Then in chapter 2, verse 3, older women are called on to teach what is good. 
So we're supposed to pass on that good teaching of sound doctrine that we've received from Titus. Well, and then verses 14 to, or 11 to 14, Paul then summarizes, look with the, he summarizes the message that he wants to be shared throughout the entire church in Crete. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's the gospel, isn't it? God brings salvation to unclean people, and he changes our lives. And then again, just a few verses later in chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Look with me at those verses. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a short letter. But twice, right in the heart of this letter, Paul outlines the message that he once shared throughout the church body. It's the gospel, the message that is at the heart of all scripture, God's redemptive plan. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God pouring out his goodness and his loving kindness on foolish and disobedient people through the work of Jesus and offering us the sure hope of eternal life. That is God's message through his word, and it's the truth that needs to permeate every corner of our churches. And it's the truth that's at the heart of every faithful message. Now, you've probably heard the, t- the term Titus II women, and we, we all want to be one of those, don't we? Paul's vision here for a Titus II woman is a Bible-saturated woman whose life overflows with the fruit of her relationship with the Lord, with those truths from God's word. Now, this teaching that Paul wants to see among women is not one woman expressing her opinions or her expertise about womanhood or household management or even parenting. Paul is seeking to raise up strong female theologians whose lives have been impacted by the teaching of God's word and who will then share that word with others. So just for those of us as as wives and mothers in our text here, our primary sphere of ministry and influence is in the home. 
And as a result, our understanding of God's word will necessarily impact our homes. As we're teaching younger women, it's important then to keep their context in mind. When we think about applications, I mean, if women are the ones who are passing on this teaching to their children, it's just like teachers, the other teachers of God's word. Their character at home needs to reflect their growing relationship with the Lord. And it's the same truth for women who are a bank executive, women who are out in the working world. When they come in contact, as we're teaching them God's word, we need to keep in our application in mind where they're living. And that word needs to be overflowing and will impact their lives there. I want you to just think for a minute about what this might look like as we study different parts of the Bible together as women. So I want you to imagine studying the book of Genesis with another woman, where we learn that we are made in God's image. Ladies, that's a big deal. That truth impacts the way we see ourselves and others around us so much more than the image that we're going to see from, that the world's going to offer us. And then when we go on and we see God's beautiful creation in Genesis 1 and 2, and then we look at the effects of our rebellion in Genesis 3, it's going to change the way we see our children, isn't it? Like us, our children are desperate sinners who need God's mercy and grace. They're not innocent angels corrupted by culture. We know that, yes, we know that as mothers, don't we? But loving our children well means understanding that truth from Genesis. And when we think of reading the book of 1 Samuel and watching as David spares Saul's life, even though Saul was determined to kill him, puts our own struggle with self-control in perspective, doesn't it? Or imagine studying one of the Gospels. And when we watch Jesus' struggle in the garden as he faced the cross and his submission to the Father, it redefines the submission concept, doesn't it? Learning these truths about life in the context of studying God's word is so much more rich and powerful than reading a how-to book on parenting or time management or self-control. Kathleen Nielsen notes in the books that you've all been given, the woman-to-woman teaching that Paul commends to Titus has its good practical side, but it comes in a book whose whole point is that godly behavior flows out of gospel truth. They must go together. If we women are teaching each other just practical tips, or even just the Bible's teaching on womanhood, then we're missing the deep truths out of which those life lessons flow. We must teach the whole Bible as the foundation of it all. Friends, we can't expect to grow deeply if we live on a steady diet of topical books that do not hold the power and authority of Scripture. We need a steady diet of God's Word. And so, what does it look like? Will teaching God's Word, like we're talking about, all of it, 
really accomplish the specific instructions that Paul has laid out in these verses for women. Loving our husbands and children, self-control, we were to be pure, working at home, kind, submissive to our husbands. And we have to wonder, shouldn't we maybe be a little more prescriptive here? Well, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. Over the past several years, I've developed a good friendship with um, my hairdresser because we have to sit there and talk for a long time while my hair cooks (laughs) every four weeks. Well, when I first met Nicole, she was adamantly opposed to discussing anything about the Bible. And I would try, especially around Christmas and Easter. You know, I'd ask her about her plans. What are you going to do for Christmas, thinking maybe I can invite her to the services or something. And every year, she made it clear that there was absolutely no time for religion in her busy celebration. I invited her over and over to join us in our women's Bible study, just as a chance to meet, just come and meet some other women. Yeah, we'll throw the Bible in there, but just come and meet some other women, right? (laughs) But there were always more pressing appointments on her calendar. She had spinning class or Zumba or PTA. Well, Nicole and her husband have twin boys um, who happen to be very, very good baseball players. And a little over a year ago, they decided to send their twin boys to a Christian school in our area to play baseball with a certain coach. Now, she knew that her boys were going to be at a huge disadvantage in their Bible classes since most of the other students had grown up in the church. They knew nothing. None of them in their family knew anything. They didn't even own a Bible. So in order for them to know some of the basics about the Bible, she purchased a children's Bible. And so together, each night as a family, they would read this children's Bible together so that the boys would at least recognize some of the names that they'd never heard before, names like Noah and Moses. So they would be familiar with the stories that the other students had probably grown up hearing. Now, they were not really looking for their lives to change. (laughs) They were looking for a good baseball coach, okay? And they wanted to pass the class. Well, I was like, this is awesome. So I suggested that Nicole might want to know what her boys are learning in those Bible classes. I mean, what if it's something really radical, right? So she finally agreed to join me in our Bible study. All right, we were studying. This was planned months in advance. We were studying the book of Joshua that year. It's not exactly the book that most of us would choose to introduce someone to the Bible for the first time with its, all those accounts of battles and conquest. Well, every week, she would go home with her lesson, sit on her bed at night, and discuss what she was learning with her husband. They would go through every question together and look through the Bible for the answers. Week after week in Bible study, we talked about things like God's faithfulness to his promises. We studied Rahab, the prostitute, and how God had incorporated her into his people. We were all sobered by the seriousness of sin when we read about Achan, who was stoned to death 
and then burned because he had hidden treasures from Jericho in his tent. Her husband was horrified the week we learned about all the men having to be circumcised. (laughs) But together, we processed how best to trust God when circumstances look overwhelming. And what Nicole learned through the study of Joshua is that the God of the Bible is always faithful to his promises, even when his people are unfaithful. She learned that God is holy and sin separates us from him. She learned about how God is drawing people from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language. She learned about God's mercy and how Joshua points us forward to a greater Joshua, to Jesus, the Son of God, who would later come and pay the price for man's rebellion and then lead his people into the land that he had promised. We didn't use the word, but as women, we were growing together in sound doctrine. And as we talked about all of these truths, Nicole's entire life was impacted. Her relationship with her family changed. She grew to love her husband and her children differently. She consistently shared the word of God with them. And as she studied the character of God, she began to see areas in her life that didn't measure up. She began to recognize her own desperate need for Jesus. Later, I stepped by her house at Easter, and there by her front door, oh, this makes me cry, was a sign, a yard sign. It said, Jesus is the hope of Easter. Nicole's growing relationship with the Lord has transformed every area of her life. As she studied the book of Joshua, she grew hungrier and hungrier for God's word. And she's so excited to study the rest of scripture with an eye toward what God has to say to her. That was all through the book of Joshua. It wasn't even John. (laughs) So, will teaching God's word All of it really accomplished these specific instructions that Paul has laid out for us. Can we really trust God's word to communicate these kind of practical truths to women? Yes, we absolutely can. How much more powerful is this kind of transformation as it grows from God's word than anything else we can offer? reading a book on parenting, or how to navigate life well, and someone's opinion won't cut it. But digging into the Bible together puts women in contact with the actual words of God. Susan referenced, and we've all heard and probably memorized those words from Paul to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, teach your women God's word unapologetically. 
Study the Bible together. Give them an anchor that will not move or shift regardless of the pressures that they're facing or their feelings on a certain day. So the most effective women's ministries are firmly grounded in the study of God's word. Secondly, the most effective women's ministries take place in the context of the local church. I remember exactly where I was when I received a call asking if I would consider teaching in our women's Bible study program. And I remember the sick feeling in my stomach when I hung up the phone and immediately opened my Bible to James chapter 3. Those who teach will be judged more strictly. Why would I ever do that? I didn't have a theology degree. I had endured, quite honestly, a horrifying public speaking experience earlier in life, and I was quite content to sit back and let others carry the teaching load in the church. But even as I hung up the phone, I knew that this was what I had been called to do, even though it terrified me. As women in the church, God has really made our responsibilities clear. Not everyone has to stand up and teach in that kind of a setting, but we are all supposed to be investing and teaching our sisters. And I'm so thankful for the godly leadership that intentionally trained us in our church setting. And it's so encouraging to hear about how that is happening in others and some of your settings as well. Our pastoral staff wrote curriculum, curriculum for us to use. They invited a group of women to meet with them where they helped us grow in our ability to handle scripture. They gave us opportunities to teach in small groups of women and then offered us helpful feedback. Now, nearly 20 years later, that effort continues to bear fruit. Their efforts shaped not only our teaching, but it also helped to shape the mindset of our church family. Investing in the church community was part of the culture. It was modeled well by our leadership, and so it was natural to follow their example. And as my responsibilities in women's ministry expanded, I grew to appreciate this strong connection between the teaching ministry of women and our local church. There's something incredibly powerful about the kind of teaching that Paul is outlining in this letter to Titus. Teaching within the context of the local church. These women know each other well. They're doing life together. They see each other as they're buying bread for dinner and as they go out for a walk with their husbands. They overhear conversations and notice attitudes. They feel cared for and loved when an older woman comes alongside and offers to help with their children or to bring them a meal. This is the kind of community that Paul is envisioning when he tells older women to instruct younger women. Now, I know that sometimes these can be helpful, but what Paul is talking about here is not a video series with a celebrity teacher who has no connection to these women. Now, I'm not suggesting that God never uses that method, but how much more effective can a teaching ministry be when it's done alongside one another in real life? There are so many blessings that come from grounding our ministries in the local church. Structurally, it reflects the teaching that Paul has outlined in Titus. 
Elders are called to oversee the spiritual welfare of the church, and that means that ministry among women will necessarily fall under their authority. And this structure offers our ministry grounding that just would not be possible outside of the local church. Now, theologically, the church's statement of faith helps to guide our choice of curriculum. And that statement of faith can offer us parameters as we have to navigate some tricky theological issues sometimes. The wisdom and perspective of the elders can offer support when dealing with challenges among women, which will inevitably arise. Several years ago, we faced a terribly painful situation, and we were all so thankful for the strong support of the elders who met with us, they gave us advice, they prayed for us, and ultimately stepped in and helped address the the issue. But without their strong guidance, we could have faced deep division within the ministry. The connection to the local church also offers women the opportunity to support the larger vision of the church. Women's ministry, um, it's it's exciting, it's helpful for women, but it's not an end in itself. It's not primarily about promoting women or about women's issues. The goal of women's ministry is to build up and strengthen the body of Christ. It's a bigger picture than just women's ministry. And as women grow in their understanding of God's word, they are then able to use their gifts more effectively within the local church. Marge was a dear friend and a dearly loved small group leader in our women's Bible study program for many years. She was an unbelievable artist. She could create artistic banners that captured the truths of scripture in just incredibly powerful ways. And her banners are still literally hanging around the world. And as we got together every Wednesday morning and studied God's word, Marge would take the truths that we were learning and she would incorporate them into her work. And so these beautiful banners that hung in our church reflected the truths that we were learning in scripture. So the entire church body was built up as Marge used her gifts and what she was learning in Bible study to strengthen the entire church body. And those things those things happen everywhere in the church as women take the truths that they're learning and incorporate them into their children's ministries, into their work in the church office, into their ministry of hospitality. So structurally, we see God building up his church as we ground our ministries in the local church. Now, this grounding also has amazing benefits socially. I love the diversity that comes from grounding our women's ministry in the local church. Because as a church, we're opening our doors wide to women of all ages, all backgrounds, and cultures. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Bible studies among certain demographics, group of young moms, or an office can be helpful. But think about how much richer our discussions of God's word will be when we hear the voices of single women who can offer us a needed outside perspective. And middle-aged women who have raised their children and can offer a view from the other side of mothering. And grandmothers and widows 
We need all of our voices. And as we ground our women's ministry in the local church, we open wide the door to women of all backgrounds. And we communicate to the watching world that God's truths are for everyone. And we are given the opportunity to grow from women whose life experiences are very different than our own. I love watching the dynamics in a small group of women. When you have one woman who has maybe never opened the Bible before or where it's new to her, sitting alongside a seasoned woman who has spent years faithfully serving the Lord, maybe on the mission field. As the one who is new to studying the Bible begins to see God's grace and mercy that's offered in Jesus, she's overwhelmed with excitement. And her words just bubble over in everything she says. Her wonder at seeing those truths for the very first time is contagious. And it's an encouragement to everyone in the group. And then, when you couple that with an older woman who has faithfully served God all of her life, and she can recount years and years of seeing the Lord's faithfulness through terribly hard times, when those two women are together in a small group, that new short, the joy of the new believer, along with the settled peace and the quiet confidence of that seasoned woman, that is beautiful. There's a richness that you just can't find in a limited def- demographic of all working professionals or all yoga moms. <laughs> but this is what happens when women come together in the context of the local church. And then on an individual level, when we ground our ministry in the local church, it offers women like Nicole a natural on-ramp into the church community. And what tends to happen is as women, women's lives begin to change from their study of God's word, their families naturally get curious, what in the world is going on? And so that connection to the local church makes it really easy for them to check out this teaching. They can be welcomed into the worship services or the youth groups where they then have the opportunity to hear for themselves that solid biblical teaching. I can say literally countless families in our community have come to know Christ in this way. Countless families have been transformed through the grounding in God's word and in the church. But women don't need to be... um, a wife or a mother to appreciate this connection. It doesn't have to necessarily be just the families. The church body offers us a place to find brothers and sisters in Christ who serve as hands and feet of the hands and feet of Christ. And think about even just these couple days, how we have been so blessed by Union Lake Baptist Church as the men have served in amazing ways over these few days, these couple days. Church members can often come alongside in very practical needs as well. House maintenance, yard work, legal assistance, things that would be really difficult or impossible to, to offer if a women's ministry was not grounded in a local church. So, but I, I don't want to glamorize it either. 
If you've been in ministry for very long within the church, you, we, we all know there are challenges. There are people who see life differently than we do. There are people who are socially challenged. There are people with very difficult agendas. And I, we really honestly, I, from, there are people who just bug us. It's true. And it can be tempting and often easier to distance ourselves from the church, to connect with our friends or with others who life, whose life experiences mirror our own or within an online community. But sisters, siloing ourselves and our ministries away from the church cuts us off from a vital source of energy and life and support that God has provided for us. And as we look through scripture, I am convinced that the most effective ministry takes place under the elder, the authority of the elders within the context of the local church. Certainly that's what Titus, we read in Titus. And finally, I'm going to be really short, brief with this one. The most effective women's ministries grow out of a deep and sacrificial love for our sisters in the church. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote about his own motivation for ministry. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Ministry is costly, and ministry is dangerous for a lot of reasons. Perhaps one of the biggest reasons, the largest, the biggest dangers, is allowing it to become about us, about our agenda, about our ego, about our platform. True ministry is costly, and it has to grow out of a love for our sisters. Paul's vision for this young church is a community built on the truths of the gospel. We've talked about that. And there is no room in the gospel for self-promotion or pride. Love your sisters. Give yourself in ministry to them. Don't use them. Well, much of what I've talked about this afternoon has been kind of philosophical, the need to ground our ministries in God's word, to do it in the context of the local church, to minister out of love for our sisters. And I don't know where you are this afternoon. You might be thinking, Cindy, that's great, but I don't even know where to begin I don't know how to teach God's word well. Well, if you're considering teaching the Bible to other women, I'm just going to very, very, very quickly just give you a few helpful tips for specific things to consider as a teacher of God's word in any context. A lot of this will be things we've referenced in, in, or in the, throughout our time. But first of all, study the entire book of the Bible. Get to know the author's style. Read it over and over and over until you sense in your own mind that you kind of know the author and you know what the book is about. 
Because when you understand the big picture of a book, you'll be able to better understand the individual pieces that are within that book. We've seen this in the book of Titus. Knowing Paul's overall purpose in writing this letter helps us to better understand his instructions for women, doesn't it? Secondly, study the historical context of the book. Now, there are lots of good commentaries out there who will help you get a sense for what the, when the book was written and the circumstances that surrounded it. Um, it's helpful to know if a prophet was writing to warn his people before they were taken to exile or if he's writing when the people are in Babylon. It's also helpful if you're studying the, the letters, like, like Titus, to know the issues that a church was facing. So study the historical context. Third, I think we all know the frustration of having our own words taken out of context. Don't you hate that? And we can all give examples of people who have taken scripture out of context and twisted it to say something that looks actually very different than what the author intended. So as you study a text, look carefully at the immediate context. We spend a lot of time in those Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. How does the context inform the meaning of the text? Looking at the context of Paul's letter protects us from the temptation to see his instructions to women as something other than what he intended. So look at the context. Um, fourth, look at the structure. Find, look at the structure in that text. Look closely. Can you, can you outline the text? Are there repeated words or ideas? Are there major shifts in topic that, that will kind of help unlock the author's meaning behind that? So look, look at the structure. And then five, look for Jesus. Didn't you love Susan's story last night about her granddaughter Lucy looking for Jesus on the pages of Sarah's Bible? From Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. And as you teach don't miss the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus' life, in his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. And finally, educate yourself. There are lots of resources available that can help you learn how to teach God's word faithfully. You've heard a lot about the Charles Simeon Trust. that They offer workshops around the country specifically for women who want to grow in their ability to handle God's word. The Gospel Coalition in their Women's Initiative intentionally is helping start Bible studies among women, teaching women how to study God's word. So in closing, what is at stake if we fail? As women in the church, we have been given a unique role. Can God accomplish his work without us? Of course he can. But what happens if we don't follow Paul's instructions for women? If we don't encourage women to ground their actions in the truths of God's word, if we simply give them our opinion or the opinion of a successful author, if we drift away from the local church, look with me at the end of our passage there in verse 5. Women are to teach and live in a certain way that the word of God may not be reviled. Sisters, the very reputation of God is at stake. It is possible for our actions to cause the word of God to be reviled. 
Some of the synonyms for revile are criticize, condemn, attack, castigate, and denounce. Isn't that a horrifying prospect? If our lives and our teaching are not firmly grounded in the truths of God's word, we can actually bring attack and criticism onto the Bible, onto God's word. And we can undermine the only source of hope that this world will ever have. There's a lot at stake. But along with that, what an amazing privilege. God has entrusted to us the teaching of his word to our sisters. What we are doing matters. It matters now, and it matters for eternity. So as you go out to your various church settings and your ministries, be encouraged. As you ground your ministry in the truths of God's word, you are making an eternal investment. As you build up your local church, you are beautifying the bride of Christ. And as you sacrificially love the women in your church, you're offering them a tiny glimpse of the love of Jesus. Teach what is good. Train women to live lives that reflect the gospel well. May the Lord bless you in your ministry as you faithfully share his word with your sisters. Let's pray together.